Blog Talk Radio. This is the Hellbender Book Show on the BookSpeak Network. I'm your host, Kyle Alexander Romines. A little bit about me by way of introduction. I'm an author from Kentucky, and I'm also a medical doctor. I graduated from the University of Louisville School of Medicine in 2017. My debut horror novel, The Keeper of the Crows, appeared on the preliminary ballot of the 2015 Bram Stoker Awards. I've also written six other books, uh, horror, science fiction, fantasy, murder mystery, western, and thriller, all available for purchase on Amazon in ebook and paperback. On this show, I'll be reviewing horror novels and interviewing authors, uh, joined by some of my cohorts and friends. Uh, tonight, I'm joined, joined by my co-host, Joe Mills. Hello, everybody. Uh, Joe, why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself? Well, um, I am an all-around nerd. I have been interested in everything sci-fi, fantasy, and horror ever since I was a little kid, and that comes in multiple mediums, uh, books, movies, video games, board games, just anything that I can get my hands on. All right. Well, with that in mind, before I introduce our special guest and tell you all about what I'll be doing tonight, I will play the official Hellbender Books intro. Tonight's guest, Jacob Romines, the author of Something Other, a collection of horror stories. Something Other is Jacob's first novel and recently appeared on Amazon's bestseller list in the number one best-selling ebook in the category of horror anthologies. And he did it all at only 20 years old. Jacob, welcome to the show. Hi, Kyle. Happy to be here. Uh, correction for you. That was in new releases. Still an impressive accomplishment. Jacob, <laughs> tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, first of all, I'm humble, as you can see. Uh, no, I'm a 20-year-old philosophy nerd, as it says in my author bio. And uh, I go to Center College in the middle of Danville, Kentucky. Uh, I went to Trinity High School in Louisville. And I enjoy writing horror, reading horror, and pretty much anything dark. And why don't you start off by telling us about your book, Something Other. All right. Well, uh, it's a collection of horror stories, like it says in the title, and they're primarily inspired by H.P. Lovecraft. Um, The stories oftentimes contain monsters that are incomprehensible or in some way unknown to the protagonist, Um, and it's a very dark work of a lot of gruesome horror. And that's not to say that it's on the nose. I I tried to include some subtle literary themes in some of the stories, but it's just, it's a dark work, Kyle. Oh, I know. I've I've had the opportunity to read it. it. Now, my co-host, Joe Mills, has the book here with him. I'm going to ask him, Joe, would you mind reading the, the synopsis for everyone out there? I would be more than happy to, Kyle. Shadowy hints of titanic monsters, humanesque voices, even faces, that almost seem real, enticement into ancient and incomprehensible jaws, 
the twisting of human minds and bodies for insidious purposes, biological corruptions and chaos, encounters with the unknown. All the above and more are found in this collection of 19 horror stories and three unnerving poems. Inspired by the works of H.P. Lovecraft and Thomas, how do you say that last one? Is it Ligotti? Ligotti. Thomas Ligotti, Romance draws from the natural world, the internet, and a dark imagination to create a variety of frightening tales populated with a menagerie of original and wholly disquieting entities in its haunting debut. That made me afraid to go to sleep just listening to it. <laughs> uh, Jacob, let me ask you this before we get started um, asking you more about the book. First of all, where can people find the book if they want to buy it, and how much does it cost? Amazon.com. The ebook is three ninety five. The print is nine ninety five, um, and if you'd like to get that on Amazon, all you got to do is search for the title, something other, a collection of horror stories, and uh, pick it up. If you could leave a review after you buy it, that is the life force of any Amazon author. So tell us a little bit, how did you get the idea for this book? Well, the ideas for this book, I think um, – a lot of them come from nightmares, if we're being real. I would say probably a third of this book is sourced from nightmares, and the rest of the book is sourced from people who also source their ideas from nightmares. So there's clearly some influences from H.P. Lovecraft in there. Uh, I mentioned him in the blurb, as well as Thomas Ligotti, another cosmic horror author. And then I read a lot of scary stories on the Internet. So... When I'm out there, you know, it's four in the morning. I probably have a calculus test the next day, but I'm surfing through a bunch of scary stories on the internet. And usually I'll combine those in my head in some way, add some original element from my life, put a narrative twist on it. And, you know, that's the type of story that goes in there. Well, I've read the book. And, Joe, one of the things that I found very interesting is the variety of the short stories. So Jacob has some short stories that are 20 pages long, others are seven pages, and then he has little shorts. He has some po dark poems mm -hmm. in the book, including one by a friend. What did you think? Well, I was actually able to peruse a little bit of it myself, and it was mostly that first story that I first focused on, and I definitely have to agree it has a very Lovecraftian element, and there's just something unsettling. Um, I don't want to get into it and, and reveal too much, but there is some uh, – uh, what's the best way to put it? Landscape manipulation. And to me, the idea of that is absolutely terrifying, that there is an element out there that is so large and so powerful that medium to large scale manip landscape manipulation is a small side effect of it existing. That's something that's almost incomprehensible to the mind. Joe, that is the absolute type of stuff that I love people hearing about because you know I, I don't want to go out and state in my stories that hey this is supposed to be the scary part but when people pick up on stuff like that and they identify it as the element in the story that scares them that's why I write this kind of stuff so thank you for that you are very welcome well, I think part of it is was for me it, despite it being such a short story I was able to put myself in the in the shoes of the protagonist and just imagine, like the way you describe it, some of his events and what he's doing, I can see myself there and going through that. And so when some of those things occur, I just imagine, oh, my God, how would I react to that? Yeah, and um, that's 
the voice that I wanted to go for there. I'd say one of the ways that I diverge from my heroes, Lovecraft and Ligotti, is that they're very prosaic, very colorful, and their protagonists are often, um, let's say, upper-class, well-educated, isolated individuals. I like to play with a more relatable style, kind of like Mm -hmm. someone's posting it on the internet. Like they're scared, they don't understand what just happened, but they're trying to communicate it to somebody. And I like to think that that can reach more people in the modern age than me trying to directly emulate Lovecraft with my sentence structure or something. Well, now that we've talked about your inspirations for the book and your philosophy, your approach to horror, if you will, why don't you tell us specifically about some of the stories in your book? Maybe do you have a particular favorite or favorites? Hmm. That's tough. Um, They're all so different, and I feel like focusing on any one too much would maybe misrepresent the book. It's it's definitely a patchwork quilt of stories, if you will, but I think there is one I'd like to talk about, and that's called The Puppeteer. It's a little bit of a meditation on grief. It's one of the few stories in there that is written in third person. Uh, Most of them are narrated first-person past tense, and there's one that's first-person present tense. But this one is third-person. And since it's a meditation on grief, I like to think that that removes the reader from it a little and allows the reader to really analyze what's going on inside the protagonist's head rather than just get swept up in a wave of emotions. And I feel like it especially works for this story because what happens to the protagonist is not pretty. And I, I don't want to give away too much, but, you know, I don't really know where I'm going with this, but it's the story of a mother who loses her son, buries him on the family country farm, and something is in the woods outside the farm, and it does not treat her kindly. Let's say that. Well, I'm glad that you bring that up because we have our, our guest, our co-host and future audiobook narrator, Joe Mills, will be reading the first page of the puppeteer. All right. The puppeteer. There was nothing more horrifying than losing a child. Of that, Marie was certain. Some agonies could be stifled, ignored, or outweighed. Lost in distractions, perhaps, or tricked away by therapy. But the grief for her departed child welled inside her like a sea, and there was nothing on earth that could temper the raging emptiness in her life. Burr was 20 when he passed. His life was far too short for anyone, much less such a great boy. Clever, wonderful, loving, all the adjectives a mother could want. Weird could have also been applied, but Murray preferred unique. Sensitive, but with a comedic streak, Burr elected to run puppet shows for the local theater rather than enter the business world. At first, Marie held mm-hmm. reservations. She wanted her smart son to carry on in his father's legacy in the banking industry but they didn't need the money. Besides, after she witnessed his first performance, heard the delighted squeals of children and the chuckles of their parents, Marie knew Burr had found his calling. It didn't last. That certainly sounds foreboding. Now, Jacob, what would you say are the, the themes of your book and the stories? Is there an overarching theme? Are there several themes? Hmm. That's a difficult question. I would say that there is an overarching theme of 
we don't understand reality. We don't really get the world we live in. Stuff just kind of happens to us, and we have to roll with it. But I tried to make each of the stories have a more individual theme itself. For example, there's one about exploration. Maybe you should be more careful where you go. Uh, there's one about friendship, as funny as that sounds. You know, always stick by your friends, stay loyal. Um, and I would have to say that most of the stories are a bit darker than that friendship one, but the overarching theme falls by the wayside in wake of each individual story. I was going to wait to ask you this until later, but since you have focused on how dark your book is, and, and Joe, I'd like to get your feedback on this too after Jacob answers. Mm-hmm. Hor- darkness is associated with horror, it's true, um, but sometimes you have mixed outcomes. I know in some of my books I have the protagonist will suffer setbacks, yes, but ultimately good will triumph in the end, or there will be at least a mixed picture. Your stories are very bleak. Is is there a reason for that? Well, on one hand, that's kind of the type of horror that I'm writing. Uh, Lovecraftian horror, I would say, is based in a very nihilistic mindset, uh, which holds that ultimately all value and hope is kind of pointless in the face of the cosmic void. Uh, And on another hand, there is a personal element in that in how I deal with darkness and hopelessness in my own life is to write it out. So I wouldn't say all my stories have terrible endings, but yes, ending stories like that, especially in the short story form is therapeutic in a way. And it does reflect a certain truth about life. I gotta say, I uh, I find that absolutely interesting as a way of, of writing, and also as an outlet of your personal, um, maybe not your absolute personal view, but just an aspect of of reality itself. Um, I certainly find that in some stories that tends to be one of the more perfect elements that I've seen. It's not that sometimes some big bad thing is out to get you. It's just that in the right story and the right element, sometimes it's that. Even if it is, it doesn't matter. And I think that's one of the scariest things that I can think of, especially if you can find yourself ingratiated in that story and you find yourself with that element there of, oh, my God, something's coming, but I guess it really doesn't matter anyway. Oh, sorry, Kyle. Go ahead, Jacob. I was going to say, Joe, that that's very insightful, especially since we were just reading The Puppeteer. I I don't think I was that good in describing why it's one of my favorites. But I would say that you, again, have hit on another key element that I aimed for in writing the story, which is that it doesn't really matter that there is a monster outside Marie's farmhouse. She just lost her son. Everything's bleak for her. And so... I just thought that it was insightful of you to notice that. Well, thank you. I'm your host, Kyle Alexander Romines, with the Hellbender Radio Show. And our guest tonight, just to repeat myself, is Jacob Romines, the author of Something Other, a collection of horror stories that is available on Amazon in paperback and ebook. That's $9.99 and $10 or $3.99 on, is it $3.95? $3.95. Now, Jacob was just talking about uh, how dark some of his stories are. I wanted to ask, and I I was planning on asking this question later in the interview as well. You talk about your stories as an outlet, as as therapy even, 
do you have personal experience with depression, mental illness, any of the things? And, and if this is too personal, you don't have to answer it or you can talk around it. But, but some of the emotions, the raw emotions that your characters go through. Well, Kyle, uh, there's a quote from Thomas Ligotti where he says the next great horror author will come from somebody on the brink, somebody who is mentally scarred enough uh, to hardly operate in society, but just functional enough to be able to write stories. And I wouldn't consider myself at that level, like he thinks himself and Poe and Lovecraft are, but I would say that I'm approaching it to some degree. I, I've definitely struggled with mental health before, and I especially struggle with having a positive outlook. Well, thank you, Jacob. Uh, Joe now is going to – my co-host, Joe Mills, is going to read uh, the names of the stories in Jacob's book, Something Other, a collection of horror stories by Jacob Romines. Certainly, and I just want to note that uh, I do personally find some of these titles – very interesting, even though I haven't actually had the opportunity to read through them yet. Some of them just immediately stick out in my mind. But let's go in order as they are on the contents page. Beneath the Swamp, The Night Strider, A Fable of Crickets, The Puppeteer, The Bad Tree, Contortion, God's Prison, The Threshold, The Soul Eater, the Man on the Tower, Siren, Listen to Your Ma, They Don't Work Anymore, Quarry, Amaze, The Praying Fungus, Entities of Predatory Consciousness, Introduction, The Fungus King, Out There, The House in the Middle of Nowhere, The End, A Portrait of the Artist as a Dead Man followed by author's note, acknowledgments, and about the author. Now, I will say personally, the one that sticks out to me so far, and the one that I'm very looking forward to reading, is the, is the Praying Fungus and the Fungus King. Because those are the ones that's there's something terrifying about, for me, for fungus. Because the, the and, and has to say, I've not actually read these yet, but for me, as someone who's read other macabre horror stories, the idea of when fungus gets involved, that's the kind of stuff that infects someone and changes someone. And it's almost um, a similar trope as a zombie in that when you're infected, you become them. And there's nothing you can do about it. And so i got to say I'm, I'm very looking forward to, clearing, to reading through the rest of this book. Joe, I have read the book, and, and for our listeners out there, uh, Joe hopefully will be joining me and another co-host who I have yet to introduce and reveal, uh, to review, do a full review of Jacob's book after our interview in a subsequent episode. But to follow up on Joe's point, talking about the fungus, J Jacob has created his own horror mythos. He speaks of his inspirations like Lovecraft and the Lovecraftian mythos. Well, Jacob has his own uh, Romanian mythos, if you will, uh, centered around an, an entity called the polyp. And several of his stories specifically the praying fungus, entities of a predatory consciousness, the fungus king, and the house in the middle of nowhere all share a common thread. Jacob, tell us a little bit more about your mythos and the polyp. Mm. 
Well, I don't want to give too much away, Kyle, but yes, the final few stories in the book are all tied together by a single thread. Um, and that is, my mythos is not based on gods or deities like Lovecraft, but rather an organism. Um, an organism that was born many, many centuries ago before life as we know it truly evolved on Earth. And uh, somehow that organism was removed from Earth. Some catastrophe sent it hurtling into space, but somehow it lived. And it still has a connection to the Earth. And it knows humans exist. And it, and it doesn't like them very much. And I would say that's all I'm really willing to tell so far about that entity, the polyp. But if you want to check out the book, uh, you'll, you'll learn a bit more. I won't tell you everything, but then again, this is only the first anthology of something other. The polyp will be back and closer in the next one. I will say that the polyp and, and the fungus stories, specifically the praying fungus and the fungus king, are two of my favorite stories from the book. I also love the puppeteer, which you mentioned is one of my favorite stories as well. Um, but I, I love all the stories in the book. They're so unique. The Night Strider, that's a 20-page monster story that is, that is just phenomenal. I was about to ask if there are any real-life stories behind your books, but when you start talking about entities like the polyp, I'm not sure. Let me ask you this. Joe, uh, Joe, do you have the reviews for Jacob, some of the reviews for Jacob's book pulled up? As a matter of fact, I do. Why don't you go ahead and read some so you can, we can see our audience can hear about what all the buzz is about? Absolutely. Let's pop through a few of these. Um, so I won't go into the ones where uh, they're expanded ones, but they do have quite a few short and sweet ones. And we'll go ahead and uh, go through some of those. Uh, the first one that stuck out to me was from Stephanie. I love short horror stories, and this collection was great. The stories held my attention and were well-written. I would definitely recommend this collection. And the next one was from Colleen Hill. Creepy, eerie, and well-written. Unconventional approach to horror stories. Keeps your attention in a very visual manner. Definitely recommend. And then there was one saying they weren't actually a fan of horror stories originally. Let me go ahead and pull this uh, extended one up a little bit. While I'm not typically a fan of short stories, I found that the author was able to pack a sufficient amount of action, information, and horror in his stories that they never actually that never actually felt short. Immensely entertaining and attention grabbing. Would definitely recommend this book. It sounds like you've got quite a few fans out there already. Feels really good. Um, there's one of them where he says he's been reading horror for 40 years, and occasionally I, I forget the exact terminology he used. It was something like gem in the rough, and that story absolutely made my night. Uh, it, it warmed my heart, and I spent. You want to read it, Joe? Yeah, actually, I just I just found this. Uh, this is from The Dogfather, which uh, the review is called A Rare Treat, which I find ironic. Uh, I've been reading horror and strange for 40 years. Occasionally, in amongst the flavor of the month stuff and the tired tropes, I found what I feel is a rare treat, a hidden treasure. This is one such book. Its horror is so subtle, so vague, so primal. No ham-fisted extreme horror crap here. Some of these stories actually gave me unpleasant dreams. And that's no easy task. We should be so lucky as to hear more from this author. That is a wonderful review. Yeah, that one absolutely made my week. If 
he was the only person that read it and left that review and I never sold another book, I still think I'd be happy with it. Because that's really why I set out to write this. You know, I don't really care about making money. If I wanted to make money, I'd probably, <clears throat> sorry, I'd probably write more sci-fi and maybe some, some romance and uh, adventure stories. But I really want to just inspire people to feel that same feeling I felt when reading some of those stories on the internet or, or some of Lovecraft's tales. I just want people to feel that sense of subtle, primal disquiet, I suppose. So what's next for you, Jacob? I understand you have a, a story you're going to submit to the Hellbender Press Horror Anthology. Yes, I am. I've been cycling through a few different ideas. Uh, one of them centers around a quote from Nietzsche. I don't have the exact quote on me right now, but um, I would love to use some of Nietzsche's works in this story. And then the other would be something that belongs very well in this anthology. It would be a dream journal of a professor who's been experiencing some very unpleasant nightmares. Now, other than your submission for the uh, upcoming Hellbender Press uh, anthology, what else do you have in the pipeline? Ooh, a lot. I'm working on a YouTube channel where I will dissect and, I, and analyze uh, movies, books, pop culture, and the Internet especially. I'm very fascinated with technology and how power works on social media. Um, I plan to write a novella called Worlds in Boxes. It's about a guy who starts a cult at the tender age of 18, so that should be fun. Um, and other than that, I have a list of about 20 projects on my Google Docs, but I'm not sure which one is coming after those two. That's incredible, Jacob. Now, our guest tonight is Jacob Roman, the author of Something Other, a collection of horror stories. I'm co your host, Cop Alexander Roman, and this is the Hellbender Radio Show. The first story in Jacob's book is titled Beneath the Swamp. Now, Joe Mills, our radio, our uh, resident audiobook narrator, I was wondering if I could get you to read the first page of the story Beneath the Swamp by horror author Jacob Romines. Absolutely. I'd be more than happy to. Beneath the Swamp. I've heard a lot of conspiracy theories about the Everglades City earthquake. Florida is tectonically stable. That's true. The government was testing a super weapon. That's not true. Still, I admit that most of the theories play off legitimately peculiar facts and murky circumstances. The government was doing something there before the quake. There was not a quick response and developed evacuation plan from the National Guard, and there was very little mainstream media coverage of the disaster. Conspiracy theorists depended upon, depended upon these facts like wolves finding over scraps. But you know what I don't see mentioned in the internet forums? You know what never gets brought up in those late-night 4chan threads? The injury count. I see the list of fatalities all the time. 53 men, women, and children. All wiped from the earth. 53 deaths. Zero injuries. And it, it'll, read on, it'll lead on to the next page. So I think that's a good stopping point for that. But honestly, I think that's a very good intro for this story as well. Thanks, Joe. And that story in particular, Beneath the Swamp, is what the cover to your book is based on. Who did that cover? 
Mm-hmm. So his name is Kevin Catalan. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. He's an artist I found on Reddit, and he had already done a few Lovecraftian pieces, so I knew he was the right guy for the job. Now, I believe we have a call, a call in, a listener. Uh, let me see what we've got. Uh, do we have someone here on the line? Hi, Kyle. What's up? This is Conrad Joyride. Look, man, I love your show. Uh, I just wanted to call in uh, about the book, uh, about uh, about Jacob's book. I mean, it sounds really interesting. Well, what about Jacob's book? Uh, and do you like horror? Well, I don't know, man. I mean, sometimes it scares me. I got I got about a fourth of the way through uh, one of your books, Kyle, Keeper of the Crows. Uh, but I, I, after uh, – Sheriff Jezebel Woods saw the the keeper's pumpkin head. I started having nightmares and stuff. I ended up wet in the bed from that. Uh, but I uh, I know the the one short story I have read comes from uh, Edgar Allan Poe, where he uh, the the uh, character in the story uh, chopped up the bodies and and put them under his uh, floorboards of his house. So yeah, that's the one I've read. But I'd like to read some more That's short, scary stories. Conrad. Do you have a question for Jacob? Uh, yeah, Jacob. So I wanted to ask, uh, do you think you would be able to give us a teaser of some sort of uh, one of your upcoming stories? Oh, uh, like a horror story that I'm yet to write? Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. Well, besides what I'm working on for Hellbender, uh, I'm putting horror stories off for a little while to focus on other projects. I will say that I plan to write more stories in the polyp mythos and that as it now stands, the polyp is an organism out in the distant reaches of space hurtling towards earth. Uh, by the time the next anthology I write comes around, it will be much closer. Oh God. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, well thank you so awesome. much, Conrad. Yes, I'll have to pick up a copy. Thanks for having me, guys. All right, thank you, Conrad. All right, we're back with our guest, Jacob Romine, the author of Something Other. We're about halfway into the show, and I thought it would be a good time to change gears for a moment. Jacob, tell us. How do you actually write the book? I'm always fascinated, not just by the stories and the quality of a book, but by the author himself. What, what was the process you went through to become a published author? Um, it was quite a struggle because I haven't mastered my creative process yet. It basically consisted of me sitting down, typing 100 words, getting distracted by a YouTube video, and writing another 100 words in another few hours. But eventually I got better at writing, and I would sit down for long periods of time and just, you know, spam out uh, eight pages or so. And oddly enough, I'd find that the work I would do during those big writing spurts was actually better than the hundred words that I'd carefully type out uh, throughout the day. And what I realized is that I was entering a flow state, uh, which is a psychological term for an a period of optimal productivity. Now, what was your approach to actually getting published? How did you put the book together? Well, I did self-publish it um, through Amazon, 
And Amazon has a very easy-to-use, intuitive interface that I went through. Uh, you helped me a lot with this process, Kyle, pretty much every step of the way. There's a program called Bellum that you graciously allowed me to use to format my book. In fact, you pretty much formatted it for me. Um, you helped me edit the book. I hired the cover artist, and you helped me create the cover for it. Pretty much every step of the way, working through Amazon was something that you helped me with. Well, I know how hard you worked on it, and it's an honor to have you here on the show. Do you what, So you, you said that you're putting horror to the side uh, other than your upcoming submission to the Hellbender Anthology. What are some of these? I know that you're working on a project called the Scorpion Lord. I uh, just give the audience a teaser. I haven't even heard of the Scorpion. So, yeah, yeah, I got to say, I, I definitely want to hear about this as well. All right. Well, this is a fantasy story that I originally conceived when I was 15 years old. And it's evolved since then into being a little less immature. I would say the basic synopsis of it is your typical Tolkien-esque medieval world with elves and dwarves and all that. Uh, and I took a little from the politics of Game of Thrones, and it results in this big city with a ruling council of intellectuals, kind of like, uh, you know, I'm trying to think of a comparable society. It, yeah, I'd say the Senate of uh, ancient Rome. Anyways, these ruling intellects encounter a problem when three different threats arise. One is a uh, race of warriors similar to orcs from Tolkien, except mine, they're dog-like warriors as opposed to whatever reptilian, goblin-esque creatures that Tolkien and other people have created. Uh, the second threat is an ancient being, and this is where I took a little from Lovecraft, called the Wither. It's basically a living statue that turns any being around it into dust. And the third threat is the Scorpion Lord. Now, that's a race that of uh, arachnoid people, and they have a sexually dimorphic... Um, sexually dimorphic morphology. So the males are about 12 feet tall. They have four arms, two legs, and a gigantic tail. And what they can do as a species of warriors is wield blades in all four of their arms and attach one to their tail. So they're pretty much a hurricane on the battlefield. And a male um, hasn't been born in a long, long time, centuries long time. Of course, the females live to be 700, so that's one of the reasons. But the humans wiped them out several centuries ago, so there were no more males left for quite a while. And then one gets born. The humans hear about this, try to eliminate him, fail, and he's on a quest for vengeance. While at the same time, the dog-like warriors are converging. They come down from the mountains and want to wipe out the humans. The wither, which is that living statue that turns everyone to dust, starts being active again, turning people to dust, ruining the battles. And the Scorpion Lord, the whole time, is just relentlessly wiping out forces of people. And you can see that it's a little bit action-oriented. Obviously, I came up with it when I was 15. But I'm really excited to write it because I think that I can take the story in a deeper direction. And I do just love the idea of 
you know, these three horrific threats all coming at once. Normally you get that big bat, you know, Thanos is coming to, to Earth or something. But no, I like the idea of Thanos and Ultron and Loki all attacking Earth at once. You know, three big bats. Make it interesting. I just want to note that even though this is uh, what you described as a fantasy series, I personally would describe this as nightmare fuel because <laughs> I don't know if anyone has ever actually looked at a scorpion. Like, if, you're, if you haven't, go Google scorpions and go to images right now. They're terrifying. Yeah, one of my favorite uh, moments that I've conceptualized in my mind for that book would be during the final battle when the Scorpion Lord appears. I mean, it's a it's a twelve foot tall man scorpion hybrid. It's it's an absolute terror to behold. Well, getting back to the topic at hand, this is Jacob Romine, the author of Something Other, a collection of horror stories. My co-host Joe Mills is about to read another selection from Jacob's book. Joe, what have you chosen? Um, I went ahead and chose the first page of the fungus story. Uh, I got the first page of the praying fungus. I'll go ahead and read this out for everyone. Just want to uh, give a heads up to everyone out there. There's a little bit of uh, there's a little bit of profanity in the story, so um, earmuffs if you necessary. can. You can uh, bleep them out, Joe. <laughs> I would. I would for our. For our uh, SEC audience out there, I would omit the swear words. Okay, that's fair. Okay, let's get this started. The Praying Fungus. The following text was a single file in a flash drive recovered from the home of Kevin Gillard, placed in a plastic bag with a small amount of rubbing alcohol and flung from the house. It was discovered by firefighters and passed to Maine State Police. I killed Jacqueline. I killed my girlfriend. But I killed her because she was going to kill you, all of you. The world was going to end if Jacqueline went out that door. I'm going to burn my house down with myself inside. I'm drinking all the vodka I can handle, then covering this place in gasoline. But first, I'm going to finish this note so I can tell you what happened. You won't believe me. I hope you don't. Because if you believe me, then that means there's, the, there's evidence. If there's evidence, that means some of it survived, and that means you're at. Wow. Uh, I, I love that story. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, it's one of my favorites. Jacob, let me ask you this. What advice would you say you have for new writers out there, someone who thinks they might have a passion for storytelling or writing, and they're just starting out? What would you tell them? I think writing is not about – writing rather, but rather about overcoming obstacles for writing. Uh, because everybody who wants to write is going to write, they're, or at least try to put words on a page. And until you do that, you're not even trying to write. So I'm going to talk to people who are already trying to put words on a page about some of the hurdles that you might face. My personal biggest hurdle was thinking, I'm too young, I will fail, I will sound like an idiot, my stories will have no literary merit because I have zero life experience and I haven't done as much reading. I haven't done as much writing as authors who are much older, much smarter, and much more experienced than I am. And my response to that was pretty much, oh, well, I'll, I'm just going to put my book out there because I don't really have much of a choice. I'm not going to wait seven years to publish these stories that I finished just because I think they sound immature or I think they might sound immature. 
no, I'm going to put them out there and see how they do and see if people like them, see if people find any merit in them. So I would say that's probably the biggest hurdle you should try to overcome as a writer is getting over the self-doubts and realizing, hey, if you've done your best, put it out there and see if people appreciate it. Other than writing, what are some of your passions and hobbies? Hmm. Well, I would say writing encompasses a lot because not only do I like writing fiction, I like analyzing things and writing that down. Uh, I'm very interested in marketing, technology, social media, um, and, and I feel as if those things have a big impact on a lot of other interests of mine, which is philosophy, politics, psychology. I'm really into basketball, as silly as that sounds. This has mostly been an interview focused on the more, uh, I want to say, classroom-oriented activities, writing, reading. But I really love basketball. I like hanging out with my friends. I would say probably the biggest interest of mine, though, is really anything dark. You know, reading, writing, talking about it, it, it doesn't really matter. I just like dark stuff. Don't know why, but I do. Why do you think that is, Jake? And I will address this question to Joe, my co-host, Joe Mills, as well. What do you think it is that draws people to the darkness? Because I have readers, I write horror fiction as well, in addition to fantasy, science fiction, Western, mystery. And I have some people who say, I love your books, Kyle, but I won't read anything scary that you write. Some people, what is it, uh, and like I said, Joe, this is to you as well. What do you think it is that draws some people to the darkness? Okay, uh, I, you know what? I'll go ahead and grab this one as one who's who's not a writer. Uh, the most interesting thing for me is seeing the story unfold and seeing it in a way that fills the void of my imagination. Because even you, someone who would describe themselves as unimaginative, has thousands of thoughts per day, and some of them are probably completely original and creative, and they probably never even think about it because, you know, we can't read each other's minds. But when I'm looking to read a story, I want to see where it goes. I want to go down that path. I want to go down the rabbit hole, and I want to see what's down there at the end. Now, sometimes for me, along that journey, um, I want I want those orcs and those elves and those wizards and the scorpion nightmare dudes that are 12 feet tall and have four massive swords and can murder eight people in a second. Sometimes I want hardcore sci-fi. I want people who can travel, you know, interstellar distances in a, in a microsecond. And sometimes I want to see what skeleton is hiding in someone else's closet. I want to see what's going to pop out at me, what's going to surprise me, what's going to change me when I, when I get done reading it. And I think that's probably a lot what a lot of people would say um, – especially for you having done a H.P. Lovecraft, uh, having as a big influence, stories like that change you as a person. You, you want to pick something up. You want to reflect on something. And for me as a reader, that's, I'm always looking for that new journey. Jacob, same question. What draws you to the darkness? I have a little trouble deciphering it myself, but I think it comes down to this. And this can be applied to everyone in varying degrees. I just happen to think I'm an extreme case of it. The human mind is not designed to love everything all the time. 
people aren't meant to sit in rooms with fancy silverware and talk about the weather all day. There's a part of us that's very deep and passionate and dark uh, that, that likes to read about these things. Nietzsche describes this as the lust to rule. Uh, alternatively, you might have heard it as the will to power. But it's found in everyone, right? There, there's something in nearly everyone's mind that struggles to see and will, will do almost anything to see less civilized, darker parts of ourselves. And, and this is everywhere from, you know, Philip Zimbardo's Stanford prison experiment to the writings of, you know, an average fourth grader. I just think that there's something very intrinsic in our minds that's not designed to be happy all the time. It wants to see darkness. It, it wants to think about death. Uh, and I think that part is just particularly strong in me. And if you, that's such an astute point, Jacob, because if you think about the way that we've evolved as a species, we came from our ancestors had to compete for everything against other animals, against each other, um, fellow humans, against nature itself to survive. And that, now we live in an age where we live in the greatest country on earth. We can get food whenever we want it. We can cure many diseases that would have killed us even as recently as 100 years. And so that part of our mind that is at peace, there's something wrong with that because we're programmed to seek the conflict, to know the conflict. Yes. And it's exactly that evolutionary part of us that I wanted to capitalize upon in something other. Um, Joe was talking about it. Why does the idea of fungus sound so gross to us? Why does the idea of spores and, and, you know, holes in our bodies, you know, grotesque little biological aberrations scare us so much? Because when we saw that stuff thousands upon thousands of years ago, it meant we would probably die if we got too close. So that stuff has a very deep and intrinsic and evolutionary fear mechanism within us. And, and beyond that, you know, why are we so afraid of the dark? It's because the little kids who wandered away from the fire back in the days on the African plains, they got swept up by monsters, basically. I mean, this is how we learn to survive. There's an H.P. Lovecraft quote, the oldest and strongest emotion of mankind is fear, and fear of the unknown is the oldest and strongest type. And I think that that's pretty much 100% evolutionary. That's so fascinating, Jacob. And that's one of the things... I I write all different genres, as I said earlier, but I am so fascinated by horror because of that. I love a lot of the themes of my stories contain the interplay between darkness and light. So I, I look at a different side of horror, the genre, than you do. But it's such an interesting genre. I think it's such an underrated genre. Let's let's talk about. We have about fifteen minutes, a little bit less than fifteen minutes left. Let's talk more about what are some of the things that you have learned from the process of writing these stories and publishing a book. Ooh, good question, Kyle. Um, firstly, it's that if I can do it, anyone can. Now, that's not to say that it's easy to put together a bunch of writing that you worked hard on and send it out into the world. It's not. But you can do it. Um, the internet has allowed anyone to put out a work. Uh, the second thing I've learned is that 
there is a part of me that's dark, and I just have to accept that. We've talked a lot about darkness on this show today, and, I, and I've talked a lot about my darkness on this show today. I used to not be so accepting of it. I used to think there was something extremely wrong with me that I was so drawn to H.P. Lovecraft and Edgar Allan Poe and horror movies. Um, and writing this has helped me realize, hey, there's a productive outlet for those kinds of thoughts. You don't have to think you're a freak just because not everyone likes horror movies. No, it's okay to write that stuff out to, to, you know, and this is paradoxical given the nature of my work, but accept yourself and be happy. So that's probably the second thing I've learned. And then the third I would say is that I'm a better writer than I was when I started. That's such a fascinating response, Jacob. I, some of the same things that you've expressed are, are also thoughts I've had in the past. The idea that being fixated or interested in horror somehow makes you uh, an aberration, I think is incorrect. I think that we all have the interplay of light and dark between our, it's, it's part of our nature that we have to grapple with as people and exploring these stories is a way to do that. Now, Joe Mills, my co-host has your your final entry in your book, a poem called The End that you've written, a dark poem. And, and uh, Joe, would you mind reading that for the audience now? Certainly. This is uh, The End, correct? This is, this is the one that uh, – or is it The Portrait of the Artist's Dead Man? No, that's my friend Travis Liebert's poem. Oh. Um, you can check his poetry out at author Travis Liebert on Instagram. Okay. Well, in that case, let's read The End. Under gentle surface of still and vicious murk, shifting giants slumber, and ancient beings lurk. Waiting eyes watch upon man's foul world of pity, as the dust blows and corrupts the crooked city. Outside the, be- the bounds of being, hordes of shadows dance, laughing in the unknown at existence's last chance. Ripples through the gulf of space foretell the disaster, attracting universe-sized scavengers to devour what's left after. In tiny human brains, primal hints of things amiss, as smiling facsimiles slowly step from the abyss. Flushy trees and fields of ashes sway with hollow grief. Trapped souls writhe forever in the mansion of a thief. All these things and others, with names too wrong to write, closed in upon the world on one fateful final night. We have a little less than 10 minutes left on the show, and I wanted to take the time now. Uh, we've, we've had some very interesting discussions so far, but I really wanted to take the time we have left to drill into each of the stories that Jacob has written. This is going to be a challenge, Jacob. Ooh. We all like to uh, be eloquent and articulate because we're all writers and readers. So bullet points for each story, starting with Beneath the Swamp. What's Beneath the Swamp about? Beneath the Swamp. A guy in Florida experiences a disaster and explains it in a way that's going to shock readers. The Night Strider. A college campus is experiencing a wave of terrifying murders. One girl, in an effort to protect her friend, figures out what's behind those murders. You've talked about the puppeteer, but for our new listeners. Ooh. A woman in a lot of grief 
encounter something that almost incomprehensibly is worse than that grief. The bad tree. A mother with anxiety leaves her baby alone for just five minutes because what's the harm in that? Contortion. Yeah. The guy goes where he shouldn't and sees something that shouldn't be. God's prison. That's probably the exact same as the last one, but there's a different element of religious overtones. Uh, What is God? Did we come up with the idea of God, or is it something else, something other, if you will? The soul eater. A man has an encounter with his worst thoughts, let's say. The man on the tower. I was going to say what drives a student completely insane, but I think we all know that students are being driven completely insane by the fact that they're students. <laughs> um, a guy keeps seeing something every single night, and it changes slightly each time. Siren. A man who misses his ex encounters her, but it's not her. They don't look anymore. Evolutionary fear has a point. The praying fungus. A guy who likes adventures finds a very unpleasant adventure, and it ruins his life. The fungus king. There's something in a cavern somewhere in the world that's much more ancient and much more dangerous than anyone would actually like to know. And the house in the middle of nowhere. This one's actually my favorite. A professor, a genius, who might, who might be insane, encounters an anomaly beyond anything he's ever seen before. Pretend, Jacob, that Joe and I are potential readers you've met in a bookstore, and you're going to make your pitch to buy your book. What would you say? Ooh, good question. I struggle with this. Let's try it. Hi, guys. Uh, If you like horror, if you like being unnerved, if you oftentimes find yourself reading or ruminating on very dark things, Uh, thinking dark thoughts, and you want a reflective surface for that, if you want to think more about those things, try to comprehend them or not in a way that's going to be new and unique, then I'd suggest you check out my book. It's got a lot of weird elements in it, and if you're a fan of weird stuff, you'll really like it. And what is the name of your book again, and where can we find it? How much does it cost? Something other, a collection of horror stories. It's three ninety five and nine ninety five for the paperback on Amazon. Joe, did you have any other questions for Jacob? I asked one now. So something I read in uh, that first story, and uh, something that you've been discussing. So how much do you pull from online share scary stories as much as you do the classical stuff? Like something I'd even go as far specifically call creepy pasta. Yes. There is a creepypasta influence in this book. Um, and I pull a lot from it, but more from the culture rather than creepypastas themselves. 
I find a lot of them to be a little hackneyed. I, I'm not trying to sound like an elitist snob here. Believe me, Lovecraft is not the only horror writer. And it's my appreciation for creepypastas that actually made me write these stories, I'd say. So I do draw a lot from the culture, maybe less so the content, but the internet, I'm very cognizant of the internet when I write these things. Okay, so basically this would this book would not only be good for people who would like uh, the traditional, uh, like Lovecraftian horror, but people who could also identify with the more newer, fresh version of horror, such as Creepypastas Online, would be able to connect and, under, and uh, understand this book as well. I tried to write in that sweet spot of everybody who loves reading stuff on the internet and people who love reading Lovecraft. And I think if you fit in either circle, you're going to like it. Very good to know. So I've saved a surprise for the end of the segment. A challenge. Not to my guest, but to my co-host, Joe Mills. I will ask Jacob a follow-up question. While I do, I want you to use your remaining time to think of a random flavor of the month question to ask Jacob. It can be about his stories or himself or anything at all. So while Joe ponders the question he will ask Jacob in our closing moments, I have one final question for you, Jacob. We have spoken about your book, Something Other, a collection of horror stories. We've spoken about your philosophy of horror. We've talked about your process for writing, your inspirations, and even what you are doing next. What are your goals? not just as a writer, but as a person. It's a shame that there's only a few minutes left, Kyle, because the list is about seven miles long. Um, One way that I find identity in this chaos-covered, incredibly, sometimes hopeless world of ours is by giving myself a list of things to do and identifying with ambition as a character trait. I would say that one of my goals is being a New York Times bestseller. Another one is eventually working on the government at some significant level as an elected official. I would like to start a high school. I think that's down the road a little ways, but it's always been a dream of mine to fund and build a very nice high school for gifted teenagers. I want to... Oh, gosh, this is such a tough question, Kyle. There's so many answers. Yeah, being a New York Times bestseller, being a senator, and starting a high school are pretty much some of the main ones. Well, at 20 years old, you got all the time in the world to do it, and judging by the fact that you're already a published author and your amazing accomplishments, I, I don't know how many people in the, in the audio are aware of it, but Jacob scored a perfect 36 on his ACT. What? But... With one minute left, I give the final question and the floor to my co-host, the awesome, the amazing, the spectacular, the sensational Joseph Eldridge Mills. Jacob, I have a question for you, buddy. It's 3 a.m. You're all alone at home. You're sleeping in your bed, and you've been tossing and turning a little bit. All of a sudden, you hear footsteps in your room. They slowly walk towards your bed and you think you might be able to hear breathing, all of a sudden the footsteps stop. Do you look? I absolutely look. But I don't think I would see anything, Joe, because the reason the footsteps stopped is because the being has actually begun to hover above the bed. 
And as I would lay there, frozen in terror, staring up into the face of something that I can't even understand, I'd probably melt into a pile of tears and die. And there we have it. We have <laughs> to go with Jacob's death.